Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Monday, October 4th. And Brendan, at least for us, not necessarily the rest of Major League Baseball, but welcome to the offseason. That was a brutal season. That was one where we'll never forget. And I mean, I can't imagine a more traumatic trade deadline ever again in our lifetime. So at least that's over. But it's it's a weird, it's always weird the first day after the offseason. We, we've talked about in the past how this season felt like it had a few kind of distinct parts and how different they were and the sort of range of enjoyableness of of those various parts. But I did find myself, you know, waking up today on, on a Monday as I, I watch a lot of the playoff preview coverage and stuff on the MLB network and just sort of sitting there thinking like, yeah, I, I, you know, it's only one day in and it wasn't exactly that fun to end the season, but I already kind of miss Cubs baseball. It's a long, you know, I think I looked at it yesterday. I think it's like 175 plus days until the regular season opens next year. And there'll be plenty of content and and storylines and stuff, hopefully to fill the gap between that time. But either way, like, you know, you already sort of just get that feeling of like, huh, that sort of daily presence of Cubs baseball in my life is not here for a while. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a crazy off season now. So at least we have that to look forward well, we to. Hope. It's going to be, uh, well, I mean, like they have no right. choice. They want to go into the off season or this season with like, what, a $40 million payroll? Yeah. They're going to have to spend money. So at least we have something. Well, don't, you know, don't threaten to, to Tom follow. with a good time. But <laughs> oh. <laughs> um. Yeah, so it, it it's weird, and I suppose, you know, we'll have plenty of uh, the sort of missing of Cubs baseball to talk about, especially over this next month where, uh, you know, they can do some stuff as it pertains to the organization, but they do have to wait, obviously, until the conclusion of the playoffs to really get into the meat of this offseason. Um, and then before we get into what we want to talk about here today on this episode, Brendan, I am just curious do you have any particular rooting interests in these playoffs as they're laid out? And and I guess more specifically, how do you feel in particular about either member of Brizzo winning with a new team? Where do you stand on no, kind of this, this field? No, it can't happen. Like, I, I'm, like no. Well, no so that doesn't leave them. you with they, many desirable options, though. I know. Well, this is this is the state of my reality right now. Like, I want, I love Chris Bryant. I love Rizzo. 
but they they got to get eliminated in the first round. I cannot watch them be happy with a different team at this point. Like, sorry. I know, it sounds crazy, but I just cannot have that happen. Okay, well, I mean, there's a, tell me. there's a good host of these teams that I know for sure are trumping that in terms of whether you'd find it acceptable that they won. Yeah. I know at least three well, are coming ahead of the Yankees and the Giants here. So what's your where are you standing on all of this? I don't know. Well, I think like the only the only way I'm not hate watching is probably Atlanta going to the World Series okay. and then uh, I don't know, uh Tampa Bay, I guess. Like I'm okay with Boston to some degree, but I'm not thrilled about it. But out of the NL, I, I can't I mean, Cardinals can happen. Dodgers absolutely right. not. Milwaukee no right. way. And I like seeing Chris Bryant celebrate hurts my soul. So like, what do you want me to do? I have no choice but to go with Atlanta. Okay. Um. Yeah. I mean, I don't love Atlanta. Well, you're. you're what do you, What do you mean? You're gonna be. You want to see Chris Bryant in a like, well, a, so, a World I mean, Series jersey? It, to me, if you were asked, I mean, I would say that San Francisco. I think I've explained before how I feel about the Yankees. You're nuts. Um. Because I worked there, and I just don't mind them. I, I never, you know, really felt like evil empire things about them, right? Um, I would say like, you know, them, San Francisco, Tampa, even like Boston, I don't really care about that much. Um, that's all Come fine. On, man. You want to see like Rizzo and Chris Bryant in World Series jerseys that are not Cubs jerseys? Well, not really, but I'm not, no I, 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 I think Chris and Anthony deserve to be happy. Like I don't, I don't have any particular. I mean, I think so and, too. And they're just they're like, playing like I don't have any issue with the Giants, frankly, especially from a, a Cubs perspective. Recently, like they haven't really done anything to us to warrant like uh, hating I them. I don't, you know, like I didn't like Bumgarner, but he's not on the roster anymore. So like I think their roster is generally uh, mostly likable. And like I said, I I worked for the Yankees for a while, so I always kind of root for them and I enjoy seeing Anthony happy. So yes, I understand where you're coming from that. It's sort of like, uh, you know, moving on from an ex and seeing them in a a happy relationship, right? It's, it's complicated, but okay. So let me ask you this, right? So we, we've kind of gotten that out of the way, but bringing it to a more Cubs related as the name of our podcast implies, um, mm. a, a more Cubs-related perspective. It, do you? We've kind of talked about this in different terms, but now that they're they're all in the field, right? Between L.A., Milwaukee, and St. Louis, can you can you rank them in terms of which is like the least acceptable? Because I, mean, I know my answer. The least acceptable. Yeah, like I, I, if if, if you that? had to like, say this is the one that. I will not tolerate. This is number one. No. Oh, man. I mean, like, kill me. at the, Well, at that okay. Point. So like, I'll uh, give you a second to think since I'm putting you on the spot, and I'll explain my answer. Um, my answer is in order from least acceptable. It's Milwaukee and then St. Louis and then L.A. Um, okay. And my reasoning for that is, like, I think in general, I dislike the Cardinals more than anyone. I dislike the organization, the fans, everything about it, right, makes me sick. But they kind of, you know, just because they, they've they won before, right? And that's already part of the narrative and part of the fan discourse, right, that they've won a lot of championships, they've won a couple 
fairly recently, right, at least in this century, um, unlike, you know, the aforementioned LA team, which has only won a clown title in this century. Mm, Um, And Milwaukee hasn't. And so I think the thing that makes our lives appreciably worse than it is in this moment is Milwaukee winning and their fans having something new to enter into the discourse and bring up and and just the the narratives that they would be able to uh, talk about I I think that is the worst outcome in this particular playoffs Um, even though in general I dislike the Cardinals more I think than Milwaukee at that point you're you're splitting hairs like between St. Louis and and Milwaukee I think for me, you can flip a coin, and my opinion might change on a day-to-day basis. You watch St. Louis in a playoff game, and then you contrast that with like Milwaukee. There might be a moment where like, you know what, I like just let Milwaukee yeah. win. Like if I had to, if I had to pick, like they're that miserable no, it's true. franchise, yeah. St. Louis. Yeah. For the Dodgers, they they won the spring training World Series last year. Like congratulations. Um, I mean, like I I guess they're the the most acceptable of that trio. I mean, I, I I don't know. I kind of like being able to to talk smack about how they never yeah, won. Yeah, we know a legitimate world and series. And you live in LA, but, uh, so it, it you know does factor into things. I, yeah. I I I do live in LA, and um, there's there's no response to that comment. By the way, when you have not won a world series right. in four decades, like a, a legitimate one. So I'll miss that, but I can't I can't have St. Louis fans okay. doing that. I can't have Milwaukee doing that like that at all. So. Unfortunately, that's the state of our world. And not like in that same vein, but I don't want to see anyone happy. Like that's, that's, well, that's, that's my, just the that's miserable people that we are. Yeah. I, I know. Like I don't want to see anyone happy. So right. like I'm looking at the entire playoff pool. Who's going to be, who in my circle is not going to care about a certain team? Tampa. Winning? And like Atlanta, no one cares about Atlanta. Or Tampa. So like let, or Tampa. Yeah. Like let Tampa win, let Atlanta live, uh, win, and let me go on through all my off season. I don't want anyone happy. That's fair. Um, yeah, so I, th- I th- we're like kind of in agreement there, but uh, that's that's our stance. If you're curious on these particular playoffs, but we we had this argument, not an argument, but we had this conversation like three years ago, where it's like, oh, you know, who do you hate more? The yeah, moments? but I mean, like, this is a more focused. Like, here's the playoff field. Like, they're both in it, so you know, we kind of have yeah. to discuss it. Yeah, but that's that's yeah. generally uh, Brendan and I's stance on the playoffs that are coming up. So, you know, I suppose if, you know, something interesting happens with that, we'll, we'll touch on that again. But obviously, you know, this is a Cubs-related podcast, not really anything else. But just, you know, curious, especially because there are some teams that, uh, you know, unfortunately are Cubs-related for not-so-great reasons. But let's uh, – here's what we want to do. Uh, obviously, you know, we didn't talk to you guys uh, twice last week, uh, just some scheduling stuff. I had a, a wedding that I had to be in. And Brennan had some stuff going on. So uh, thank you guys for, you know, uh, dealing with that with us and, and allowing us uh, to take that one episode off. But now that we enter the off season, you know, as always, we kind of stick to a like if there's something that we want to talk about and can keep you guys interested for an hour of your time, we will do that. Uh, you know, and then we'll, we'll just kind of see what happens as the off season unfolds. But so since we last spoke, uh, the, Card- the Cardinals... Uh, 
and Cubs played in St. Louis to finish out the season. The Cubs took two of those games, um, winning 6-5 to five on Saturday and 3-2 to two on Sunday. Uh, all three games in that series decided by just one run, and then the Cubs also took two of three from the Pirates, winning on Wednesday and Thursday, again, since we last spoke to you guys. So the Cubs do finish the season on uh, a positive note, I guess, if, (laughs) you know, if that's one way of looking at things. And so what we wanted to do in the next couple of episodes is, you know, sort of just a season in review. Want to use this time while the playoffs are going on and the Cubs can't really be building too much of their 2022 roster to take a look at, you know, what happened in 2021 and and hopefully get ourselves and you guys set up for what is to come and, you know, what the Cubs are going to do. And that way, once it all starts happening, we are prepared. So today, we want to take a look at the offensive players. And we'll break those down kind of, you know, not report card style, but again, you know, kind of looking back at how did these guys do from beginning to end and you know, now that we, we, we've touched on a lot of this stuff over the last few weeks and months, kind of just tracking the progress. And I think today we really want to take a look at, okay, here's where it finished and here is where, you know, the, the Cubs front office and, and ownership and, and, and coaching staff, this is where everybody leaves off. So this is kind of the point where you have everybody and you have to make these decisions. So, uh, Brennan, I, I'm looking at the, uh, wins above replacement rankings for the Cubs in 2021 and and their offensive players. And that includes a lot of players. Uh, You know, the the Cubs ended up with 69 players getting in uh, on the season. You know, when you trade so many players and bring so many guys up, it does uh, allow you to use a lot of players. And I think just like you and I predicted in spring training, the top five in wins above replacement for position players for the Chicago Cubs this year were in order Chris Bryant at 2.5 in 93 games, Frank Schwindel at 2.3 in 56 games, Patrick Wisdom at 2.2 in 106 games, Wilson Contreras at 2.1 in 128 games, and Javier Baez, 1.9 in 91 games. I think exactly as anybody would have predicted, right? Frank Schwindel and Patrick Wisdom, two and three uh, in terms of uh, wins above replacement for the Cubs. Well, you go back to our preview of the season podcast, you'll you'll hear us talk about Frank Schwindel and Rafael Ortega and, and Patrick Wisdom. This is the weirdest part of the entire season, is when you see Frank Schwindel's war top Rizzo's overall war, not just with the Cubs, right? Like, that's the most bizarre feature of this entire season, in my opinion, with as, as it relates to the Cubs. I I mean, it's, it's, it's insane. Um, I will say Ian Happ finishing, just like my initial reaction to those numbers, Ian Happ finishing with the numbers that he did is also incredibly shocking. So he will finish, he did finish the year with a 328 weighted on base average. That's like right in line with his projections. I don't know what that's going to mean for his role for the upcoming season, how the Cubs operate him in the offseason, whether or not they give him a stable role. But among those names mentioned, of course, Wisdom stands out. Of course, Schwindel stands out. But Ian Happ's last six to seven weeks, I mean, that's an extreme. That's the extreme we were talking about. I, I don't know how to interpret it yet. I still have to maybe take some time to 
to let that sink in. But those numbers are kind of crazy, Corey, to see him, again, over 100 RBRC plus, a 328 weight on base average, 25 homer. That's, that's, that's insane. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, we've checked in on a lot of these guys, um, you know, so I think you, you, you all have had a bit of a primer on where these guys were and, and where they were going to end up. But we, we can just start on Ian Happ, I suppose. Um, there was a, a good tweet uh, from Brad at Balls Quack, I think is how you pronounce it. Honestly, I, I'm not sure. B-A-L-L-S-K-W-O-K. Um, a great follow on Twitter uh, talking about the Cubs at all levels. And he posted the the Fangraphs numbers from Ian Happ and then four guys that the Cubs traded uh, since August 1st. So, you know, since any of those guys would have been playing in a different uniform. And Ian Happ put up a 396 weighted on base average, uh, that coming with a 363 on base percentage and a 581 slugging percentage, good for a 147 WRC plus, remember 100 being league average. Uh, And then the guys below him, they're all below him. So Ian Happ was better than all of these players since August 1st. Javi Baez was at a 138 WRC plus, Chris Bryant was at a 113 WRC plus, Anthony Rizzo at a 93 WRC plus, and Jock Peterson at a 92 WRC plus. So that's that's only since August 1st. So you can't just throw everything out that happened before that. But there was a, a good sort of discussion going on on Twitter on Monday because of that that tweet that Brad put out, and just sort of noting that for a two month stretch. Uh, Ian Happ was considerably better than these guys. And again, you can't throw out the the, the previous part, right? Because all those numbers fluctuate. You got to look at everything in totality. And I think a, a very fair question for Ian in this particular season is, you know, where did that uh, sort of deep valley come from? And, and why did it happen? And, you know, what do we think or do about that, right? Because it was really bad. Um, but that two month stretch, you know, we, we sort of took notice of it at the end of August and wondered if he could keep it going. And he did. And, you know, he ends up finishing the season, uh, as an above average hitter, 103 WRC plus. So, you know, just barely above league average, but still for where he was, right. I mean, I think he was in the sixties at one point, Brendan. So, you know, he really, you know, put his head down and, and grinded to get those numbers back. He finishes with 25 home runs on the season. And yeah, we, we, we knew, I mean, I think even heading into August that he was going to be an interesting case for this front office. Um, but I think especially now, I mean, I have to imagine there, there was a discussion at a certain point as to whether he would be non-tendered. I think the way that he finished the season, I think that's probably off the table, depending on what's going on of course, with the CBA and arbitration and all that stuff that, you know, may get changed or uh, eliminated, whatever they end up doing with that. But I, I mean, I think at the very least, you'd have to consider him for some sort of role going forward or, you know, think, hey, yeah. we, we got that value up. Maybe we look to package him in a trade and kind of figure out the direction we're going with the roster overall. But I, I think that, you yeah. know, you can't ignore those last two months and the overall line now doesn't look too bad. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I'm on his baseball savant page, and if you go to these player pages, they compare hitters to not only current hitters, but hitters in past seasons. 
And among the guys, Hap's season was most similar to was 2017 Kyle Schwarber. That's like identical if you think about the trajectory of that season as well, where Kyle struggled early on in around June and July, came back, came back up and finished the year somewhat strong. Not as strong as Ian Hap did, but it's funny to see those uh, comparisons. Like the 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 pause there is because I don't know what to think of this and. The way that the Cubs have handled some of their kind of fringe, you know, core players like Ian Happ, I I don't know what the right move here is. Um, given how Jed has operated in, in recent history, I would not be surprised if Ian Happ is discussing trade rumors this offseason. He did sell high on you Darvish, and granted, that may have been a budget mandated uh, decision, but even then, it's possible that the Cubs thought you could get value and maybe get back immediate value to compete this year, regardless of a budget mandate. So I am curious if the Cubs do go out and try to, I guess, solidify their team elsewhere, uh, shore up their defense. Hap did rank, at least for outs above average, the bottom 10th percentile this year. And while there's going to be a DH, like I don't think that can go unnoticed. So he has to hit at probably 70th plus percentile value to 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 be worth it. Um to have an everyday role that's or borderline everyday role that's 120 plus games, 130 plus games. Can he do that in the outfield and center field? That opportunity's gone in in the corners maybe, but in right fields I mean, I don't know. It seems as if he's kind of destined, at least for that corner left field spot. So you look at the free Asian market, you look at the guys on the trade market, and I think there'll be a legitimate conversation whether or not Hap's profile fits in well with this team and this new type of uh, perspective, going with heavier contact guys, maybe kind of smoothing out some of those values that we've seen over the years but I don't know what to think of Ian Happ it's 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 a weird career trajectory and it's even more extreme than than Kyle Schwarber's and other Cubs skies in the last two decades it's it's bizarre Corey that's just like the only way I can describe what we've seen from Ian Happ over the past now what is this five years yeah yeah I mean I think at this point um I don't want to say he is who he is because he's been a, a pretty inconsistent player. So I'm not sure what I would even mean when I said that. Um, I think if... Well, that's who he is. Yeah, right, I that, guess. I mean, that's kind of who right. he is. Yeah. Um, you know, but you look at his overall career numbers dating back to when he debuted in 2017. His slash line is a 241 batting average, 338 on base percentage, 467 slugging, which is good for a 112 WRC+. plus. Um, so he's been an above average hitter. He, you know, because he got these 2021 numbers up, he has never finished a season rating as an overall below average hitter, uh, or league average hitter. He's always been at least a little bit above. And then in, you know, a couple seasons in 2020 and 2019 in particular, you know, a, a healthy bit above average. So I think you you can look at him as a guy who's going to do that. He's obviously got, you know, 20 plus uh, home run potential game power that he's been able to showcase throughout these seasons. Um, I, d- I do think that your point about the defense is a very 
fair and relevant one, um, you know, because it, it, it doesn't rate well, and I think if you watch it on TV, it doesn't look good either. So I think that's who he is. He's a very athletic guy. He's versatile, um, but he's not a good defender. And, you know, that has a role on teams. It just sort of depends where, or I think in the Cubs case, if that fits into what they're going to be trying to do going forward here, right? If if you're looking for him to be uh, the, the, you know, big time hitting corner outfield bat or something like that, I, I'm not really sure you can rely on him to do that. If you're looking at him to be a fourth outfielder type, a guy that you know, plays matchups and, you know, depending on how injuries go and who you're facing, things like that, maybe he gets a lot more at-bats, maybe he doesn't, and it just sort of depends how things are going. I think that's probably the role that he's best suited for, um, you know, or that third outfielder type that you're, you know, not really leaning on to be that consistent run producer uh, or anything like that. But, yeah, he's just tough to read, and it it does sort of remind you a little bit of when Theo talked about in the past, you know, this front offices, and really his, I mean, it, it, you know, he was talking about himself, their reluctance and hesitance to move on from guys. And I think in a lot of cases, he was talking about guys that would end up really tanking, right? Probably like the Almoras uh, or Addison Russells of the world, where their offensive production just completely tailed off to the point that they were unplayable. So Hap is not in that conversation. That's not fair to Hap to suggest that. He almost got there, though. But, well, right, for a little while he was. But I I think why I would relate that to Hap is does this front office sort of see him for what he has been, which again, has been an above average hitter and someone that definitely like can have a role on a successful team? Or are they sort of thinking, hey, these last two months, maybe that first month of 2020, this is who we believe he is. And we're going to kind of build the team in that mold. Because for me, that's the wrong way to read this. And that would be the wrong way to um, you know, proceed forward. But in terms of, you know, him having a role and, and being able to be a productive player, I, I mean, look, you know, we've got a five-season sample, different lengths, but he's ended the season proving that he can be that year in and year out. How he gets there has been wildly inconsistent, and, you know, you may not like the journey, um, but, yeah, it, it's all just to say I think those kind of, like, non-tender discussions are uh, over with, or at least I think they should be. I, I don't think that would be a productive way for the team to move forward with him, but uh, that, that as it has been really for a couple months here, will be probably the most interesting thing to see what the Cubs do and, and just what exactly they think of him and how it relates to where they're going in the future here. I know we've talked about him a good bit, so I think I know where you stand on this, but I think we can just, uh, you know, kind of close the book on this. Um, Frank Schwindel, you should be going into next year envisioning him as a starter uh, or at least something very close to that, whether it's at first base or if the National League has a DH, but I just don't see, you know, you can believe what you want to believe about him long term. Um, and and what part of his game and and the results that we saw in 2021 were sustainable or not. But when a guy goes out there in 239 plate appearances across 56 games and puts up a 420 weighted on base average, he hits 13 home runs um, with a 15% K rate, you know, good for 
almost two and a half wins above replacement, what are you going to do but put that guy in the lineup? Yeah. Like, why would you be devoting too much capital to whatever position you think he's going to be playing, even if it's a DH, when he just did that, right? Right. Well, his his numbers are are, are weird. You're going to see arguments that on the surface might make sense initially. And the argument is, well, his expected weighted on base average was 320 this year. And his actual weighted on base average was 420. So that's a 100-point difference. And then the interpretation will be, oh, well, he was lucky. See, he was really not this good, you see. But at the other side of the argument, scouts have said for a few years that Schwindel could not hit off-speed, could not hit breaking pitches, that he was principally a fastball first hitter. And we we did see that. Like this year, Frank's numbers against fastballs were off the charts. He had a run value of nine runs against fastballs. That would be in the top tier of baseball. But he also hit sliders. He had a run value against sliders of seven. That is extremely high. On top of that, he had a run value against curveballs of five. So it wasn't just kind of like a one-trick pony type season where he was crushing fastballs. And Hap, in his second half, that was the case. He just exclusively crushed fastballs. And like Schwindel, Hap had a run value against four seams of 10. Schwindel had nine. So it's different for Schwindel, I feel like. The expected weighted on base average numbers make of that what you want. The sample size was small for that type of outcome. Takes around seven, I believe it's 1,600 plate appearances for a number like that to stabilize. That's three years. So that means you basically don't have a confident projection just going off of expected numbers. You have to have some other type of input. And one of the most predictable inputs for these hitters are contact rate. And Schwindel is among the best four power hitters in that regard. He, I have to double check this, and I will on this episode, but there was a point in time where there was only one player with an isolated power of 250 or higher and a strikeout rate under 18%. And that was Frank Schwindel at the time, around 200 plate appearances. So you have to consider that going forward. Is he going to be an everyday first baseman? I'm not sure. The The sample size we have of Frank is 300 plate appearances. That is stable for plate discipline and contact, as as I said. But if you're going to go into 2022 with competing full throttle, yeah, you may want to have some type of you know backup option just in case he ends up being you know a league average guy. But if that's his if that's his floor is is league average. You know, you're paying him less than $600,000 right. for the next two seasons. You can use that money to bolster your outfield. Go out and get Nick Castellanos. Go out and get Starling Marte. Go out and get a shortstop. Bring back Javi. I don't know what you have in mind, Jed, but you can use that money that you would have otherwise spent at first base and improve your team elsewhere. And that's going to be a floor of a league average player. That is a huge win that is insanely valuable that's a value of at least on the free asian market 
around 15 to 20 million dollars right. to spend to get a league average guy. So that shouldn't go that shouldn't go without uh, a point of emphasis. And for Frank, I think given what we've seen with his contact rate and power, I would bet that he ends up being uh, at this point with those peripherals uh, an above average hitter, a slightly above average hitter at the, at, at the worst around a 50% projection percentile i think yeah and i mean you know you might hope at some point in 2021 that unlike or excuse me in 2022 unlike in 2021 frank is playing in deeper lineups right so you know protection is something that you know is is a sort of debated thing and it sort of depends on a lot of different factors but you would think that you know he might benefit even if he does sort of come down to earth a little bit from just being in a different a a deeper lineup where he is not always hitting second or third and kind of like it you know at times for the Cubs here in this second half he was the only guy that was hitting at you know in certain periods and so you know you'd hope that maybe he'd get pitched a little differently things like that and maybe pitchers would not be able to attack him uh, as much as they would like to because of other guys that hopefully the Cubs are bringing in yeah but Again, as we talked about a lot, like I love Anthony Rizzo. If the Cubs would like to reach out to him and bring him back, I will be all for that. Anthony hasn't been great for the Yankees, but he's Anthony Rizzo, so I'm for it. Um, but as we discussed, it's it's I'm not here to save the team money. I'd like the payroll to be five hundred million dollars every year. But when we're working with the situation that we are, and you sort of assume that the budget is not going to be infinite, especially next year, um, when you have a guy that performs the way that Schwindel has and sort of earns that opportunity at the cost he's going to be at, like, why would you, you know, why wouldn't you take that as an opportunity, as we've discussed, Brendan, to allocate those resources somewhere else? No doubt. Right? Like, you assume Jed is working with limited resources. Again, not our call. But if he is, like, go deal with the outfield or, you know, shortstop or whatever, right? Like, you've got a guy who just put up big-time numbers in, you know, 60-ish games, like, just leave well enough alone until he proves otherwise. And maybe he will, like Brendan discussed. But there's a lot underneath the hood to suggest that that floor, even if he goes more to it, is not going to be that low and, and something that you can certainly deal with. Um, just looking at some of these other guys, you know, who we've talked about a lot, I think um, one guy who he actually ended up being sixth uh, on the Cubs, uh, at least fan graphs, wins above replacement leaderboard for position players, and that was Rafael Ortega. And the one thing that I just wanted to check on with him as it relates to going forward is, you know, I think his numbers overall came down to earth a little bit as the season wore on. But what didn't is what we had kind of talked about throughout the year, which was the work that he did against right-handed pitching. So he finishes the year uh, with a 900 OPS against right-handed pitching. That's good for a 139 WRC plus, a 383 weighted on base average, uh, 18% K rate, 7% walk rate against righties. And so again, you kind of have to see how they're going to build out this roster. But I think, you know, Ortega as a platoon guy in the outfield or as a bench bat uh, to hit against right-handed pitching is certainly something that I would give some consideration to. He made some nice plays in the outfield as well. 
And uh, again, you know, if it, one thing that I think the Cubs have needed to improve on for years that we've talked about a lot is that bench depth. And, you know, those guys that are getting those spot starts when guys get hurt, guys that have to take those, you know, late inning at bats when there's double switches or pinch hitters or things like that. I guess if there's a DH, you know, we wouldn't necessarily be seeing some of this as much. Um, but I think he hits right-handed pitching. And I think there's there's probably going to be a spot for that. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of update on that uh, as, as the season went along, that that seems to be a role he can occupy. Yeah, it, again, too, it's, it's going to be at a cost-efficient price. Think about who the Cubs have paid over the years for death. Right. You think about the, the infielders, the millions of dollars spent on those infielders. Don't have to do that. You can go out and use Ortega not only in center, in left, in right. He can be a right-handed platoon type guy. He does not strike out that much. He's going to finish the year with a 21% strikeout rate. His overall WOBA was 355. Man, that's a solid season with 330 plate appearances. So going into the season with that type of outfield flexibility defensively and the ability to hit right-handed bats kind of seems like a no-brainer to, to be a fourth outfielder. These conversations, though, when, when we talk about these guys, it's always in the context of they're gonna the Cubs are going to have to improve elsewhere, right? For Ortega to work, for Schwindel to work, they have to make massive improvements yeah, in absolutely. the middle of the order. Yeah. So when we talk about these guys, oh, yeah, this is like good, bring him back, bring him back. Yeah, of course. Yeah, what, what, the, Cub, what the Cubs shouldn't do is run back the 2021 Cubs. <laughs> right. yeah. I know. Right. It's a, a really, you know, hot take right there. But some sometimes, like when you, you can kind of get a little lost in some of these numbers, like you look at these service numbers, right? Like, wow, Ortega, 355, Woba, wow. Like Ian Hamm, 330, Schwindel, 420, uh, Wisdom, you know, almost 360. Like th- Those are good numbers. Wilson Contreras said it best though, and he 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 said the second year around is among the hardest. These guys adjust, these pitchers adjust. So assuming that going into the next year that, that you're gonna get an Ortega Wobe of 350 is just not realistic. Now that being said, you also heard David Ross say that going forward there might be a world where the Cubs mix match shuttle in guys from the bench and not have your stable lineup that we've seen in years past that you see also the Giants use this year which is mixing and matching guys and Tampa Bay has done it and not to the same degree as San Fran or Tampa Bay but the Dodgers have done it not only this year but in years past they can mix in Guys off their bench, Chris Taylor can play center field, can play second base. They did the same thing with Kike Hernandez for so many years. He ended up hitting three home runs against the Cubs in the NLCS a couple years ago. It's like that type of, of ability to play the matchups is something that Ross can use Ortega in. And it's a feature the Cubs haven't had, at least you know, now that I think about it, ever. We've never had the ability to play these types of matchups. So obviously, from a lefty to righty perspective, and Ortega absolutely can be that guy. Yeah, I I, I think I agree with all of that. So we, I think we talked about Wilson Contreras pretty recently. So I I, I don't necessarily want to touch on you know his 2021 performance 
too much. We we kind of talked about that extension stuff, but I I, I do just want to bring up. I, I think he's another fascinating one to kind of look at. He's got one year left on his contract. We we talked about the the potential contract negotiations where he stood on that, where the Cubs stood on that. Um, and this, it feels like this is an interesting off season for him. Um, we haven't heard anything from the front office necessarily on, you know, starting any contract negotiations or anything like that. And as we've, I think, touched on a little bit in the past, like, you know, this was really kind of a lost year for Miguel Amaya in, you know, the, the larger sense, right? Um, so you don't really have that kind of like pushing on the door, but what, you know, now that the season is over, we're heading into this off season. We got that video of Wilson, uh, at the last game at Wrigley field, you know, kind of looking out from the dugout and, and kind of taking in the scene at Wrigley field, which of course was probably just last home game of the season. You know, you, you don't know when you'll be back, blah, blah, blah. But after we saw that look from some other guys who, are not with the team anymore. Uh, you know, it did kind of catch a lot of people off guard. Do you have a sense of what this offseason might bring for Wilson Contreras, what you'd like it to bring? I mean, now that we kind of have these these final numbers, I, I think it was probably uh, an overall, you know, I dare I say disappointing season for him, uh, like overall, uh, just in terms of an offensive perspective. But, you know, when you look at him that's because he wants to be the best in the league and he wants to be that kind of like peak performer competing for an MVP, right? Um, you know, 2.1 wins above replacement, a 337 weighted on base average. He dealt with some injuries. He dealt with having just an abysmal backup situation for the majority of the season where it was pretty much all on his shoulders. You know, all things considered, it's it's a, a good season for a, a major league catcher, but it feels like somewhat of a repeat of this last offseason, not in in the same gravity as it was with Brizzo and Javi Baez. But, you know, here we go into another offseason, not really sure about, you know, exactly where the guy's performance is, and you just don't really know where what his standing is for the team going forward. Yeah. yeah. So JT Realmuto is the only catcher in the National League to qualify for the plate appearance threshold. That's it. One catcher. In the American League, it's Salvador Perez. There is a DH involved. But for the NL, that's it. In years past, Wilson was part of that conversation of qualifying for those plate appearance thresholds. But even though JT Riomuto did that, his war wasn't among the top three for overall catchers in the league. So he finished, I mean, he had a great year, don't get me wrong. He had a a 4.4 war, but Real Muto's WOBA was 336. He signed a nine-figure contract. The top guy on this list is Buster Posey, followed by Will Smith from the Dodgers, then Mike Zunino, the Giants, the Rays, right, and the Dodgers. Those teams, they have multiple catchers. They fluctuate guys around that lineup a ton that's kind of the new era that i'm speaking to so when it comes to wilson if he's going to ask for anywhere near real muto's contract given what we've seen in the past four years i don't see that being justifiable and, and, and I, lo- I love wilson right 80 million still might not be justifiable um 
and it, it's it's going to be wild to see how it plays out with all these fluctuating CBA rumors as the offseason goes along and what that means for the DH and just overall contract negotiations for these players and if there's going to be a strike and all that stuff. But I don't like in principle committing so much money to that catching position. And I, I, I thought about that even before Wilson's injuries this uh, season. And now that we saw it this season, it kind of validates my thinking. And Wilson's not even going into the deep part of his 30s yet. So I wonder, huh, like how is he going to perform when he gets into his deep age part of his career? And should the Cubs have $20 million committed to that potential, to that potential risk? I, I, I don't know. Now, if the conversation for Wilson is, all right, well, $50 million, $60 million, of course, yes, you want to approach that. But if he's going to be going out there and asking for anywhere around 80 to 90 million to 100 million, I, I don't see that being justifiable. And I'd be shocked if the Cubs end up doing that, given how they handled everyone else before they were traded. Now, those asking prices, we'll never know precisely, but it sounded as if they were much higher than maybe what Wilson might be asking. But still, relative to each position, Wilson might be asking for one of the most lucrative contracts in 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 the recent agreements for catchers. I don't see how that's going to be a, a thing for, for Jed. Um, I want to bring him back. It is one more year left. If he's not going to sign an extension and if the Cubs don't ultimately end up going all out for 2022, then I think you do have to explore trade possibilities. I don't know where they're going to be with that and their timeline for competing and whether or not the moves they can make this offseason gets them to that point to compete for 2022, but all cards are on the table, Corey. Yeah, I mean, I I get what you're saying. Um, I For me, I, I'd like them to figure that out. And, and lock him up if he look if he's looking to break records or something like that um again it i'm not trying to save the team money but we're playing with reality here as always and I, you know I'm, i mean if it's like five years 90 million what are you doing it i i i think so it's hard man yeah right? I, look here here's the thing for me but you have to you have to think about it though here, that's here, the here, thing it's not here, obvious here well because i don't know as always i don't know how much money jet is going to have to spend which again as always sucks that that's a consideration for the chicago cubs and one of the the biggest teams in the sports world but it is what it is the the thing for me is that the catcher position is a tough one to replace guys at and it's a tough one to replace guys at that perform at the level Wilson does even for brief periods of time I I also think especially as you're transitioning here like Wilson is one of the sort of de facto leaders of this team and at this point you know one of the kind of heartbeats of the clubhouse and the Cubs are going to begin forging a new identity. They've obviously already started doing that. And, you know, especially when guys like Brendan Davis uh, ultimately start coming up, which may be next year at some point, right? As early as next year. Will be next right. year, yeah. Like, they're going to kind of take over and and forge that identity just like Chris Bryant did and, and Javi Baez did when they started coming up and Anthony Rizzo, right? Um but I think, you know, you factor all of that together, the the 
the energy that Wilson brings, the love of the game, the desire to to win, and that 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 drive to be on winning teams that you see that killer instinct every day. All that stuff is tough to replace. And how do you put a monetary value on that? How do you quantify all of that? And and you know again. I understand what you're talking about with catchers aging and, you know, Wilson's uh, sort of in, you know, like other guys, inconsistent performance at times, the workload that he's been asked to carry over the years. I get it all. And so, you know, working within whatever budget they have, there's obviously a threshold of, yes, this is a good idea or no, this is, you know, kind of committing a lot of resources to something that, you know, maybe isn't the best way to distribute all of this. But I just, for me, if, if you can find that middle ground, I, I would like to see him here for a while and just know that you have that stability at that position for as we enter this new phase and then hopefully, you know, Amaya gets back out there next year and you sort of start to feel maybe a little more comfortable with the depth you have at the catcher position in the system and things like that. Um, but I just think, you know, yeah, I, I that would be my course of action um for the moment but again yeah that's that's going to be an interesting one and and it's it's especially you know you kind of know that because there's already kind of smoke in that fire right and that doesn't mean that something's going to happen we we don't know but when you hear him talking about an extension you sort of start to to feel those talks of it's his last year what are they going to do and like you said Brendan if if they don't intend to compete and they're not really going to be putting much effort toward that then just like we did an off season ago you ask yourself those same questions what is the point of holding on to him and just if you're not going to extend him, right? You end up in those same exact conversations. So we have to see what their intention is, but that's another one to keep an eye on. So um, kind of a broader question. We've looked at a lot of these guys um, in in greater depth. And, you know, now as we get further down the, the kind of production leaderboard, you're getting to guys who didn't play in that many games or who are not on the team anymore. Or, you know, some guys like if you guys want us to delve deep into Jason Hayward's 2021 season, you can, I guess, ask us on Twitter. Um, I'm I don't really have too much to say other than I, you know, look, like, <laughs> he's been a great leader. Uh, he's done a lot of really great things for the community of Chicago. I, like, my genuine hope is that he is not on this team anymore. I, I don't want to deal with it anymore. He was awful at the plate again. And I think, Brendan, uh, can I speak for you on that one? Am I correct there? I mean, I don't know, Corey. He, his swing looks a lot better. All right, Brendan. Oh, <laughs> Jeez. Um, got a jokester over here. Um, yeah, you guys know our thoughts. Like some of this stuff, like I think you know where we sit and, and a lot of it we've covered. But what I wanted to, a broader question to pose to you, Brendan, we, we, we followed a lot of guys in the 2021 season that got a, a little bit of a chance. Some of it was, you know, 10 games, 15 games, 30 games, et cetera. So it wasn't a large sample. We had some injuries that kind of prevented us from seeing more of these guys. But were there any other names that we saw that you'd like to see more of? And 
um, you know, maybe would consider, again, you know, hoping the Cubs are building, uh, you know, at the higher levels and and kind of making these guys, you know, super uh, complementary pieces, right? Supplementary pieces, however you want to phrase that. But when you're looking at the uh, Trace Thompsons, the Alcantaras, the Rivas, Hermosillo, guys like that, anybody that, you know, even though we didn't get an extended look at a lot of these guys, you're thinking they're interesting. I'd like to see them back, see them in spring training, and I, I can see them in, in some sort of a role. Uh, again, hopefully that the, the rest of the roster has been boosted at that point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at Rivas, number one, he could be a good complementary piece to Schwindel. So Rivas, unlike Schwindel, has, and unlike most players actually, has like top-tier play discipline. You've seen those at-bats. He has that ability to not chase. And I would imagine over a larger sample size that he'll rank in the top tier for chase rate. And his defense, also unlike Schwindel, is seen by scouts as maybe among the best at the position at that age too. So you can see a scenario work out with Schwindel and Rivas that it might not be a 50-50 split, might not even be a 75-25 split, but it could be a legitimate situation where where Ross is playing Rivas against certain right-handed pitchers and Schwindel against certain left-handed pitchers and, and, and all of that. So I want to see more of Rivas. I think we will. Once we go into the next uh, spring training, he'll get some opportunities. And I also want to see more of Hamrosio. That, that was the worst part about the second half was his injuries. His entire ramp-up period to getting to Wrigley Field was highlighted by power, speed, good defense. You saw some of those plays in center field that he made against the White Sox, too. One comes to mind when he's just, you know, tailing back on a deep fly ball to center field. He looks good, and his changes correspond to what scouts were talking about. Like, oh, maybe he made some changes, and that's translating to better on-field performance. So those are the two guys that jump out to me. I want to see more of Rivas. I want to see more of Hermosillo. Sergio Alcantara was really interesting when he was first coming up because he, kind of like in the same tone as Rivas, had good defense, did not swing at many pitches outside the zone. But unfortunately for Alcantara, he had a strikeout problem this year. He struck out at 29% clip, so that's just not going to cut it. He only had a contact rate of 72%. So the anticipation with Alcantara was, okay, if you play plus defense at multiple positions in the infield, you know the arm, you know the ability to lay off bad pitches, but what was unexpected was him striking out and and whiffing too much. And you can survive with that 72% contact rate if you're going to slug, but he's, he's not that. So his role is going to be a little interesting. I don't know if he's going to make the club out of spring training. If he does, it will be as a defensive first guy. And I can see an argument for that, but I do feel as if the Cubs need to go out and improve that infield, improve their depth while keeping Alcantara an option, just not a primary option for that opening day roster at this point. Hermosillo, Rivas are the two guys. Alcantara is interesting, but I don't think he's in the same tier as Rivas and uh, Hermosillo. 
Yeah, I would tend to agree with you. Um, you know, I think I talked about how how intrigued I was by Hermosillo and especially reading some of the stuff that a lot of the scouts and baseball writers um, had to say about him. I, I was uh, particularly intrigued with that. He ultimately ended up only playing in 16 games and getting 38 plate appearances, so not a lot to be able to draw um, from that, but we did see those flashes. And, you know, again, a, a guy who I would like to see get the opportunity probably that we were hoping he would have gotten here. Not not exactly because the opportunity he was going to get in 2021 was on a bad team where he could have been starting pretty much every day and it wouldn't have made a difference to, you know, the Cubs win or loss record uh, or not that that mattered, right? Um, so I just want to see him get an opportunity to show what he can do at the major league level, which might be hard if you, you know, you're putting out a, a more competitive team, but I, I think there's, there's a lot of potential there. So I think he's, he's a guy uh, you want to keep around and, and see what you can get out of him. So um, last question for you on the position players. I, I, I'm thinking that the obvious answer, if I asked you what was your sort of biggest pleasant surprise? I, I would think the answer has to be Frank Schwindel or yeah, no Patrick Wisdom hitting all those home runs, yeah. breaking the Cubs rookie franchise record. So that is not what I'm going to ask you. What I'm going to ask you is what was your biggest disappointment from a position player perspective? What was something, now obviously this is a very weird season, so if, you couldn't have foreseen a lot of this at the beginning of the season, but taking the guys that, you know, we do have now and all of that, what is something that you had hoped to see accomplished by someone in 2021 that we just didn't, we just didn't see? I think I know what your answer is, but I'm asking you yeah, anyway. You know, you know what it is. Yeah. yeah it's, 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 it's Nico. Okay. Um, yeah. It, it's not his fault per se. You know, he only had 170 plate appearances. I wanted to go into next season knowing with a good degree of certainty what to expect from Nico. And the injuries are extremely unfortunate, and it's not going to allow us to do that. We have to go out and try to improve in the middle infield at shortstop. Even even Nick Madrigal, of course, he seems to, to be the primary option, but if he is, where does that leave Nico? Does he go to the outfield? Well, if he goes to the outfield then can we rely on him in an everyday role? No. It seems as if going into next season, we're still in the same wait-and-see period as we were going into this season, as we were going into the COVID-shortened season. And it's it's not his fault, but the reality is he has not hit a home run since 2019. I love his defense. He ranked at second base in a 98th percentile and not above average. According to that, he's one of the best defensive second basemen in the league. I love his overall style, how he plays the game, his athleticism. There is a few pictures where you see it on display, him doing the Derek Jeter hop at shortstop. His athleticism seems to be off the charts. But even then, I wanted to see him get opportunities at shortstop defensively, and the injuries did not allow that. So not only do we not know about his offense, but we also don't know about his shortstop defensive value. And there is a, I still believe it. I still believe that he's not going to be below league average defensive shortstop. It's just we don't know. That's that's the problem when it comes down to projecting these guys. So it's not a knock on Nico. It's just a knock on baseball. It sucks that he's, that he never got a legitimate opportunity this season because of injuries. But 
that's how the sport goes. And if you want to win, you need certainty. And he's not going to be in that discussion. Yeah. So there, I mean, I think I, I would agree, um, you know, with you on that. And there was, you know, some some recent talk, um, you know, where I think Jed Hoyer was suggesting, you know, that Nick Madrigal is expected to start at second base and, you know, Nico would kind of filter in at various positions. Um, I think there was an article on this at NBC Sports Chicago. Um, He would filter in, you know, because he has more positional versatility. Um, And so it, it does sort of sound like, at least at this moment, they're not really positive what Nico's role would be going forward, which I think is exactly what you're talking about, Brendan, and, you know, the sort of unfortunate spot that we've kind of found ourselves in, where, you know, you wanted to be at a point where you would be able to say, this is the position he's going to fill, he's going to play every day, and this is what it is, and I, I don't think you're sure of that, and and at least in the preliminary you know, uh, conversations that we've heard from Jed Hoyer, it sounds like he isn't necessarily sure of that as well. He will have a role and it will end up being a big one. Um, but you just didn't get that clarity in 2021 as to what exactly that is going to be, um, to be able to say that, you know, as we head into this off season. So I, I, you know, I think uh, I'm I'm still a very big fan of Nico Horner. I think he's going to be a very good baseball player. Um, you know, it's just unfortunate with the injuries um, and the timing of them, especially that we just didn't get to see him kind of um, use 2021 and the lack of any expectations as it ended up, you know, playing out over these last few months to sort of, you know, make adjustments, show what he can do at different positions, and and give us that sort of certainty of, okay, yes, this is another position locked down. Here we go. Check it off. And Jed Hoyer, here's your spending list for these other positions. So it it leaves in an, in an interesting spot, Brendan. Um, that'll be, again, another one. Like, do the Cubs play in that deep shortstop market? Do they speak to Javi Baez, um, you know, who ended up doing really well for the New York Mets? Uh, it kind of sounds like Javi wouldn't be opposed to staying there with Francisco Lindor, but, you know, then you get into the same conversations the Cubs are going to have with him, which is what is he asking for? Where does he value himself? And, you know, do the Mets uh, agree with that? And do the Cubs, if they even wanted to re-engage those conversations? So that is... Um, I mean, I think that's, you know, where you leave things with the offense. It's it's always an interesting conversation um, when, you know, half the players who are popping up, you know, when you kind of do a look back at the stats and, and things like that, they're not here anymore, you know? So it, it you know, we, we aren't really going to spend too much time talking about, um, you know, Chris Bryant's season and as a Cub or Anthony Rizzo's or Jock Peterson's or Javi Baez because, they're not here anymore. And, you know, the Cubs can re-engage with any of them. I think most of us would be pretty pleased if they did that with even a single one of them, right? Um, but yeah, there there was just a lot of change. There was a lot of turnover. We saw a lot of people take the field uh, in those blue pinstriped uh, uniforms at Wrigley Field 
to play for the Chicago Cubs, and and that makes a lot of these conversations uh, pretty tricky, as well as the added uh, you know bonus of having pretty much no idea what you know direction uh, the team we support and and talk about all the time is going to be uh, taking in this offseason. So I think that is where we will leave you guys for now. Like I said, on the next episode, we will dive into the pitchers. I'm sure Brendan will have uh, a very you know extensive and deep dive. Uh, for us on the season that Zach Davies had. I know you guys can't wait for that. Um, no, I'm oh, just yeah. kidding. That We were not going to do that. Please don't think I'm serious about that and not That's listen. Yeah, people are going to be like, oh my, I'm not listening to that. Um, no, we're <laughs> going to spend very little time talking about Zach Davies other than to say how wildly disappointing uh, his season was. That, Like we just did with, uh, you know, what was your, your sort of biggest disappointment on the, the, the position player side, I can almost guarantee you that that is uh, number one or close to number one for the, the pitching group, the, the performance of Zach Davies. But um, Actually, I don't know if it's number one for that. We'll get into it next week, though. We'll save that. Yeah, I, I mean, Arietta jumped to mind. I mean, I don't know. You could go yeah, a lot of different directions with that. But um, that's the position player group. It's, it's you know, again, as as we end the season, it, it's a lot of guys who kind of do, as we discussed, feel more in that, that mold of maybe they have more of a complementary role. Maybe they're kind of helping you lift the floor of, you know, the overall roster, you know, so that you don't have as much dead weight as we've seen the Cubs have in the past if you're supplementing the rest of the roster. Um, but it was it was an interesting year, if, if nothing else. Um, a lot of performances to be potentially excited about, some to be disappointed in. Um, and we'll see what the offseason brings. But, you know, that was kind of a look at the 2021 season that was for a lot of the Cubs hitters. So we will talk about the pitchers uh, on the next episode, the starters and the relievers and everything in between. Um, so as always, we thank you guys for listening to the Cubs-related podcast. Enjoy the playoffs if that is your cup of tea. If you tune out of Major League Baseball, if it does not involve the Cubs, we support you in doing that as well. Whatever uh, keeps you sane as we head into this uh, very, interesting and and potentially long off season. So thank you guys as always for listening. We will talk to you again soon. And, uh, you know, now it's, it's time for me to kind of, you know, readjust how I end this here. Um, you know, whether they are playing, uh, or they are not, we always end by saying go Cubs. Ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.